Welcome to Near-Death Experience Podcast, the official source of audio accounts for the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation. I'm Chaz Hathaway, author of Life in the Spirit World, What Near-Death Experiences May Teach About Life on the Other Side. I found an interesting account, a near-death experience account, on ions.org, the International Association for Near-Death Studies, and I'd like to share it today, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about why afterward this especially interested me but the account is called peaceful blue light shining from heaven i was struck in the face by a pickup truck that was being driven by a drunk driver he was traveling at 78 miles per hour in a 25 zone i knew i was going to be crushed in two as soon as the truck began to break my ribs my body and soul separated It was like I was tumbled into the ocean, head over feet for a few seconds. Then I was walking in the street. I was not aware that my body was elsewhere. I experienced bliss and peace in this velvety black light. There was a soft blue illumination. I took four steps, two two to the left and two to the right, and then the peace was shattered by my friend screaming my name. I had been walking toward a tunnel, and standing near the entrance was my skating coach, who had died when I was sixteen. I turned around, annoyed, and then I saw my body crumpled halfway under my crushed car. My first thought was, how can I be over there and over here at the same time? Then I walked back to my body and looked a little closer. I thought to myself, that body is still viable. How strange is this? I get to decide or to, uh, to stay or to go back. I thought how much I wanted to meet someone, get married, have kids, and that I didn't want to destroy my parents. They are so loving. I also wanted to stay very much. I thought, I know, I'll just ask God. God is here and he will know what I should do. I did not see God or Jesus either, for that matter. But it seemed like God was looking over my left shoulder. God said, go back. And I said, okay. I was shown some things, most of which I do not remember. And then I turned into mist and re-entered my body through the top of my head. After I re-entered my body, I had tunnel vision. The EMT kept a point of touch with me in the ambulance, which helped a lot because I kept fighting not to float back out of my body. The hospital released me very quickly. They made an error and thought I was uninsured. My parents took me home to their house, and I, wa- and I woke up in my childhood bedroom. There was no other furniture but the bed. I took it all, plus the cat to my apartment. I had not looked in the mirror in a mirror since the accident, and when I awoke, I wondered if my memories were real. I remembered that there had been a small eighth of an inch trickle of blood coming out of my left ear. I had observed this from the outside, so I decided that if I looked in the bathroom mirror and there was blood, that I had consciously experienced being out of my body. No blood is equal to no real memory. There was blood there. 
Then I demanded that my mom drive me back to the accident scene. It was about 9.30 to 10.30 a.m. When we arrived at the scene, no cleanup had begun yet. There were five totaled vehicles, and the truck that hit me was about a quarter of a mile past the spot where it hit me, still upside down. The EMT who had held me in my body was standing in the exact spot where I had been crumpled under my car. It was creepy. I approached him and told him so. I asked him if he had often returned, if he often returned to the scene of accidents. He looked surprised and said, never before. And he told me that he had been an EMT for 10 years. I said, why me? Why now? He said, I saw this peaceful blue light shining down from heaven just on you, and it felt so wonderful. It was the very presence of God. I just wanted to bask in it. I stupidly asked, Why didn't you? He said he had to get me to the hospital. Then he said that he had returned to the scene just as soon as his shift had ended to see if the blue light was still there. He announced that it was gone. Then he looked me straight in the eyes and said, Were you with God last night? I said, Yes. Then I clammed up about it and never told a soul for four years. On the four-year anniversary of the accident, I told my friend how she had saved my life. I was very anxious when telling her. It took almost an hour to stammer out to her that I believed that I had died that night. She then exclaimed, I know you died. I was stunned. I asked her how she knew, and she said my eyes were open and no one was home. That is the end of the experience. And the reason I find this experience um, especially interesting, remember several weeks ago, if you've been you know, listening, ongoing, um, how we had an experience of a mother who had lost her son in an accident and then saw a bright light coming from the ambulance. And then later, her son announced to her that while he had been in the ambulance, he'd been having a near-death experience. Well, up till then, that is the only experience I had ever heard of where a shared death experience and a near-death experience were taking place at the same time. This is the second time that I've ever come across this, which validates both experiences, honestly. And uh, it's, it's fascinating that, uh, you know, not only is this an evidential experience or one that, uh, you know, suggests that this absolutely did happen because, you know, you had two witnesses, if you will, but also um, it shows that these experiences are not entirely uh, unique to, they don't have to be entirely unique to the individual who is dying. Now, all of us are going to die. All of us are going to have this experience. It's going to be a death experience, not a near-death experience. And we will go on to the light and all that stuff. But um, being at the bedside or at the accident scene of a dying person could invoke some kind of experience. Now, admittedly, uh, you know, uh, uh, 
light shining down from the sky um, with the warmth and, and love may not be as intensive an experience as the uh, experiencer may be having if they're speaking with God or whatever. But the effect is generally pretty close to the same. I mean, this EMT, he never went back to the scene of accidents. I, I can't imagine anybody would want to who, who is, is, has been at the scene of, you know, terror like that. But this one had been so touched by the experience as to want to go back. And um, he says, let's see. There we go. He says, I saw this peaceful blue light shining down from heaven just on you, and it felt so wonderful. It was the very presence of God. I just wanted to bask in it. And uh, so this EMT had a shared death experience. I mean, and interestingly, this person lived and was able to um, come back and talk with the EMT again. Now, not only is this evidence of the fact of, you know, life after death, the near-death experience, all that stuff, but it shows that we are not entirely cut off. We may be masked from the other side, but we're not completely cut off from it. And in quiet moments, in yeah, I mean, this was, probably wasn't even a quiet moment. I mean, this EMT is rushing, doing his job, and all of a sudden, um, he finds himself, you know, standing in this light of, you know, the person who's dying, and this wonderful feeling coming over him. I mean, who wouldn't be touched by that? But it doesn't take death to have such experiences. If you've had experiences of feeling deeply touched while listening to music, while speaking with a loved one, while sharing an experience, or while listening to somebody else's experience. All of those are thin veil experiences. Now, it's true that uh, some are thinner than others. Just experiencing, you know, watching a YouTube video and, and it bringing tears to your eyes because it, it, it feels right what is being um, said or taught or, you know, portrayed in the, in the show is a thin veil experience, but uh, may not be as thin as if you were to see, you know, a light around somebody's bed, for example, as they're dying. But does it really matter how thin it is? Does it have to be thinner in order for it to be more meaningful? Does it have to, do we have to see all the way on the other side and enter the presence of God in order for these kinds of experiences to change our lives? I don't think so. I don't think so. And honestly, as we become more sensitive to these things, we become, I'm trying to think of how to word this, we become the low-hanging fruit for what spirit can bring in. So, you know, for for God to touch someone, for to touch, for example, an atheist who is totally against God, totally not interested in anything religious, when we die, we're dead, period, to reach them on a spiritual level is going to take a little bit more and a little bit harder knock on the head, if you will, than it would for someone who is seeking God, 
who is reaching out for him, who is striving to do good and bless the lives of others in order to touch lives, who is having these kinds of experiences, little, uh, you know, experiences of being touched by experiences because somebody in that situation, the veil has already thinned to the point of being able to feel just a touch of that love leaking through, seeping through the veil. The closer you get to the veil, the more that just happens. And I think what may be happening with near-death experiencers, I don't know, but what could be what we call after effects could simply be that that veil for them, because it has become so thin because of their spiritual sensitivity brought on by their experience, they are now much more sensitive to the needs of others, to the thoughts and feelings of others, and so forth. And I think that the closer we draw to God, the thinner that veil becomes. Now, for some of us, myself included, we're kind of tough-skinned in a lot of ways, or tough-veiled, tough I guess, uh, in the sense that, you know, I, I don't sense that I've got any great, amazing spiritual gifts. I strive for them. I, I ask for them, especially the ones that you know, make me sensitive to the needs of others so that I can meet their needs and so forth. But at the same time, too, as I go through my life, I realize that maybe it's not time for that right now. Maybe there's other gifts that I need to be working on, regardless of whether they are of a deeply, obviously spiritual nature, or whether they are a little bit more, you know, practical or whatever. But I'm striving to be more spiritual. And as I become more spiritual, I am I find myself more deeply touched by the little things, the simple things. And I think that is the veil thinning. Now it's not likely to crack and, and break open so that I can see the face of God. That's not likely to occur. And maybe my doubt is holding some of that back. I don't know. But I'm not sure that's the point anyway. You know, people are sent back for a reason. We're not here to return exactly. You know, I mean, I mean, certainly the we that's the intent in the long run. But we're not here on a mission to hurry and get back to God as soon as possible. But rather to come here and have experiences and learn and to develop a faith and a strength and a spirituality that you can't develop when you're in that spiritual presence all the time. You can only develop spiritually by having those muscles strained. You know, we you don't um, strengthen your, your physical muscles by sitting down and not moving in order to not damage them because you know, that doesn't work. You have to strain them in order to uh, develop them. And how does the spirit who is flooded with love, flooded with the knowledge and peace of God and the knowledge of the universe available to them at any time, how does somebody in that situation stretch their spiritual muscle? How do they pull into something deeper and greater and become stronger? I think that's one of the purposes of this life. It's to develop faith in a situation where 
it's possible to do so. You know, you could put yourself, if you're wanting to become stronger, you could decide, well, if I, if I become a farmer, you know, and then I'm going to have so much work to do and uh, really develop those, you know, farm muscles and so forth. And then, you know, as soon as we build the farm, we hire people to do all the work so that we can just sit back and watch. We're not developing anything of, of strength and muscle, you know. And if we come to this earth and don't strive for spirituality and, and, and developing that spiritual nature, we may be like the farmer, neglecting, you know, hiring somebody else to do the work. And yet, those who have have not been spiritual in the past and start working into it are kind of like someone who is completely out of shape and then develops an exercise routine, feels the aching muscle soreness of, of you know, developing and strengthening muscles um, and will have the same effect as someone who's maybe been exercising all their life, but will feel the uh, bigger difference will recognize the uh, will have the contrast of how it was versus how it is now versus someone who, like I said, has been exercising all their life, just has their routine. They may not sense the strength that they're continually building because it's just always taking place, but it's no less spirit, you know, development, no less muscle building in either case. You just have one that sees the contrast and the other that doesn't. I have to admit that I am one who has been a spiritually minded person all my life. It's taken on different shapes. It's had different aspects to it based on my own experiences and, and you know, discovering uh, different aspects of my spirituality and, the, and hearing the experiences of others. You know, it's certainly taken on new shapes just as somebody who's always working out can try different exercises and develop different muscles and so forth. But I'm kind of one who has at least tried to always stay up on that because it just, I, I, I can't not. It's, it's not like I'm trying to be better than everybody else or anything. I don't feel like I'm any better than anybody, but I have an intense spiritual interest and, and a mind that just can't, you know, I'll, I'll do other things, work and school and stuff. And, and, uh, but my spiritual side, while I may not put as intense effort on it, I can never just push it off of the burner entirely. It's always either on the back burner or on the front burner. It's just always there. Whereas some people, some of you, will have had times in your life where you had no spirituality, to so to speak, and that you had no sense of God or your connection to the spirit world or any of that. And my guess is that you're starting to come, starting to work out, so to speak, starting to exercise those spiritual muscles. And I'm going to give you a little bit of a warning that you're going to find that with time, as you develop those muscles, they will strengthen, but there will be times when you feel like, you know, well, I, I'm not seeing the, the growth, the strength further strength developing that I used to. And the reason for that is because you've reached a peak point where you are at your optimal spiritual strength for a given time. And some people will take that as, oh, 
Well, I'm not really feeling it anymore, so maybe, maybe it was a fluke. Not at all. That's not the case at all. You have just worked out to the point where you are strong and you are healthy and you are doing well and it no longer makes you sore to exercise. That's not a bad thing. And, and having this, you know, spirituality about you and not feeling this in these intense emotions all the time is not a bad thing, even though it feels like you're not doing it right or, or something like that. It's rather that you've developed a level of spirituality where you are spiritually strong, so to speak. Again, we're using an analogy and it's not a perfect analogy, but but don't get discouraged by that and don't walk away. Just like a person who's been going to a gym for two years now and is in great shape and, and things are going well, you know, shouldn't say, well, you know what, I'm not seeing any increase of muscle. I'm not becoming more muscly than I was. So I guess I'll just give up and go home because at that point you'll lose the muscle that you have developed. But that muscle, think about the reason or much of the reason that we develop muscle and strength and go to the gym or whatever is so that we'll be prepared for the times when we need strength. That moment when there's somebody trapped under a car and you have developed quite a bit of muscle um, and you can lift it just enough for them to be able to pull people out, that's when the muscle really is put to the test and when it's available. If, you're, if you've developed a level of spirituality where you're not feeling growth per se, but you're continually putting in the effort, learning and, and striving and praying and, and, and so forth, don't give up on it. Just have that there and continue to work at it because there's going to come a time that you or someone you love or something is going to, for example, die. And when that happens, if you don't have that spiritual strength, you're going to be in the utmost turmoil. It's going to hurt. And not only for you, but for somebody else who has lost, lost a loved one. And you know a lot. And you have felt a lot. And, and they're coming, you know, your friend who has lost a friend is coming to you and saying, I don't know how I can take this. They're gone. They, they're, they've ceased to exist. How can I go on? For you to be able to say, let's talk. I want to tell you something. And then be able to share what you know, the truth about the eternal nature of our spirits. That may just save your friend's life, either physically or spiritually, or in every way possible. There, there's so many things that you can do with the spirituality that you're developing. And of course, you're not going to know right off the bat what you should do with it, but continue to develop it and continue to learn it. Anyway, I'm sorry, I went off, off on a tangent there, but uh, I just thought this was a really cool experience because of the shared aspect of it. And so I thought you'd enjoy hearing it as well. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do so by either purchasing the book, Life in the Spirit World, or by going to patreon.com slash ndecast and becoming an ongoing monthly contributor. You can contact the podcast either to share a comment, ask a question, or to share your own near-death experience by emailing near-death-experience-podcast at gmail.com 
or by calling 970-NDE-CAST. And if you'd like to see past episodes, you can see them all on our website, neardeathexperiencepodcast.org. And once again, thank you all of you so much for listening.